Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my buddy, Mary Fran Bontempo, and we have a super fun episode today. Super fun for multiple reasons. Our guest is super fun, but the more fun part is it all started with the new app Clubhouse, and that drives Mary Fran crazy. So I am all smiles as I drag her to yet another social platform that has her losing her mind. Isn't that fun, people? Okay, today we are here with Brian Fanzo, and you are going to love the reason, one of the biggest reasons that I reached out to Brian that he had to come on the show, and we're going to dive into that. But Brian is a keynote speaker and digital futurist. You and gotta this, love that. I like. <laughs> I said to Brian before we got on, this guy's like making up really cool names for himself. So I have to know what this means. Like this is the best thing ever. And then for those of you that are watching and can see the screen, you'll see the sign I'm talking about. And for those of you listening on the podcast or don't have the vision to see the screen, there's a sign over one of Brian's shoulders in his office that says, press the damn button. <laughs> and that's a hashtag on his Instagram profile. We're going to dig into all of it. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I, I love the setup already, so I'm ready to have some fun. Let's do it. <laughs> That's the goal. That's definitely our superpower. Okay, so let's see where we begin. Let's begin back at the beginning with your reset. Your um, Most people would call this a sucker punch, but you call it a superpower. ADHD. Let's just dive right into that. Sure. Yeah, so for me, um, you know, I think growing up, one of the things that I, you know, and kind of instilled my, my, my parents, I was very blessed. A lot of the things that my parents worked with me on, a lot of things that I kind of, um, as I was kind of finding my way in this world, um, was that I was never the smartest in school. And even I have a whole story about my, my, my sophomore year in uh, high school or end of my sophomore year, starting my junior year. And the guidance counselor asked me what I want to do after uh, high school. And I said, oh, you know, I look forward to going to college. And he laughed, like, I mean, a, a pretty good laugh. And I know for a guidance counselor, you're probably not supposed to do that. Um, but he also had known me since I was in elementary school. So I give him a little bit of uh, a lead way. And he went to my graduation, a bunch of things afterwards. But he laughed because, like, I had a 1.6 GPA. And I, I loved school. I just struggled to read. I struggled to not only, I, I once, you know, paying attention, I think, is the easy way to think about it. But it was more of I struggled to succeed, yet all the teachers would love me. And I'm the oldest of three boys. And oftentimes, like, they, my brothers would come up and like, oh, well, your brothers are the ones that figured out how to apply themselves, right? Like, that was always the thing. Mm -hmm. My brothers got straight A's. Um, and so for me, I ended up going to college um, on probation uh, to play hockey. So I played hockey. Um, and I'm kind of competitive. So I, I ended up going to college, uh, played hockey. And you would think, like, one of the, some of those things that they talked about me not applying myself. Um, also transferred right into that world. And so as I started to look like when I, you know, I had, uh, you know, kind of growing up and uh, I would say starting into my thirties, a lot of what I was looking back and even a lot of my like self-awareness started to be around this idea was that I was very good at, you know, applying myself and standing out, but I'd always kind of felt like I couldn't figure out exactly where my place was. And there was certain things that were frustrating. And so for me, when I was 31 years old, my, my youngest brother, um, I'm the oldest of three, my youngest brother was on, was, had been diagnosed ADHD for about three years. And um, interestingly enough, I kind of like mocked him. I'll, I'll be truthful. I mocked him in the sense of like, do you, you're doing something that is forcing you to take medicine on a daily basis. Like to me, that whole concept was, was just, I was like, I could never do that. 
but I was having, for me, I was having trouble turning my brain off. And I had just started a side hustle and falling asleep was just, I mean, completely something that I struggled with. But since I was a senior in high school, I didn't need much sleep. So there was like this, like this battle I had with my mom all the time. Like my mom would check in and she's like, are you still sleeping four hours a night? I'm like, I am. But like the frustration is it takes me four hours to fall asleep. So it's like a eight hour cycle. So the long story short of that is, I mean, I remember the day I know exactly what I was wearing. Um, when I was 31 years old, I went to the doctor talking about like, because my brother was like, you should just go in and explain to him like what's going on. You might have ADHD. And I was laughing. It was like, dude, like everyone has a little ADHD. Like I used every stereotype that you could throw at it. Um, and I think we were halfway through the test with the doctor and he's like, are you sure you weren't diagnosed when you were younger? Like you were hitting all of the, of the marks. And as he started kind of inquiring on things, it was like blatantly obvious that not only was that the case. And for me that day, everything changed. And yes, I started on medicine. I started on Adderall. I'm still on Adderall to this day, but it wasn't because of the medicine. It was that day that I realized that I wasn't broken. I was just different. And to wow. me, that was such a, like, it was, a, I felt it was a monkey off my back. Like I, I remember walking out to my Jeep and I was walking out. I kind of just like stopped and I was like, man, I, I, I almost forgave myself for all these years of, uh, and, and I, I'm very extroverted. I'm a very confident person, but I would always give myself a very tough time on like, Brian, just read the book, Brian. Like, mm -hmm. this is something you care about. Like just, you know, dial in. And yet I was always one that could focus, but when I was focusing, I was like, hyper laser focus is the only thing I cared, right? It was like the, the two extremes. And so I'm now, I, I turned 40 this year. So it's been nine years um, since that diagnosis. And a couple of years after that, you know, um, in a conversation with my mom um, in just kind of like, hey, I'm, mom, someone asked me about this on stage about my ADHD and I'm telling the story. And one of the questions they get was like, did your, did your parents have signals for that when you were growing up? Mm -hmm. And my mom ended up telling me the story about that I was 11 years old and the, I was technically diagnosed or I it was assumed that would be the case. But as she inquired with her friend circle about, hey, like I'm, they're talking about Ritalin and all these things for Brian, they're trying to figure out what's going on. It was kind of applied to her that only bad parents are medicating their kids. Oh, wow. mm. And for, for all these years, it wasn't that my mom was holding that back for me. It was just one of those things that a lot of my traits kind of showed up as either lazy or like he loves everything, but he's not applying himself where it matters and all of these traits. And so for me, you know, it's interesting as I look back, like, I, I mean, I've read more books in nine years than I did the first 31 years of my life. Right. Huh. But I still struggle at reading books. That's uh, uh, to clarify that side. But if I look at that whole journey, 31, I was diagnosed 33, 34. I find out like, Hey, I was technically diagnosed at 11. And then I shared the story on stage. Um, it was in San Francisco, one of the largest stages I've ever spoke on. Um, because someone asked me a question, they're like, Brian, you talk so fast. And you're like moving your hands everywhere. And like, but you're successful. Like, do, do you like struggle? What are your vulnerabilities? Like, what are your struggles? And I just kind of said, like, you know, I was diagnosed ADHD a couple of years ago, and it's the greatest thing that happened. And the next question was like, well, I was gonna ask you something, but now that you mentioned this, and when I got off stage, the line of people was amazing. And it was almost every question was not like, hey, I have ADHD as well. It was like, oh my gosh, like I'm struggling with this vulnerability or I have this thing that I've been labeled. And the way that you presented it, you presented it with such a, like, a narrative and they love the word. I said, well, actually for those that know, like it's really my superpower. When I look back, all the things that I found successful in my life are because of my ADHD characteristics. And that day is when I had kind of like that moment where I'm going to make it part of my brand for, for now on, because a lady that was in line had her phone out, right? And this is like a long line of people and it's kind of awkward. And she's like on FaceTime with her son. And she's like, my son's 21 years old and he is ashamed that he is diagnosed ADHD and dyslexia. And not only is he ashamed by it, but he believes he will never find success. And she's like, could you just tell him that you get on big stages and, and it was like, I mean, I remember like, it, like chills came over me. At first it was kind of like awkward, like, hi, your mom's like, talking to me. Like, uh, and I kind of was like, I was like, do you mind if I hold the phone? And I just kind of talked to him for a couple of minutes and was like, dude, I know where you're at. I know how that feels. And I know me telling you that the thing that makes you different is how you're going to succeed in the, in the near future. But if I was your age and someone was telling me that, I wouldn't believe him either. I was like, so I tell you what, I was like, just follow me on social and ask me any questions you want. 
and I'm happy to go on the journey with you. And like at that minute, he was like, just the fact that you just admitted to me right now makes me more comfortable. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll make the commitment to you that I'll wear it as a badge of honor and make it part of who I am if you're willing to follow me and kind of come along in this journey. And so now it's been six years or so as part of my brand, part of how I'm introduced on every stage. Um, and even that alone for me is kind of like a, a very nice uh, incentive to always remember that I am not broken. I am different and, and different is kind of what makes me uh, successful. So this is so interesting to me, Brian, because uh, you're saying that the label you were given gave you the freedom to live the way that you want to live and succeed when the whole world has a whole different message. They always say, I don't want that label because then it stifles me. This is this is mind blowing that you're you're blowing the roof off that. And I got to tell you, when my son, who's now 21, was back in sixth grade, there was a kid with ADHD for his whole life had been on my son's football team and was driving everybody crazy. But the mom wouldn't tell anybody that he was diagnosed with ADHD because she didn't want him labeled. And he ended up dry. He ended up actually attacking my son and an entire class of 130 kids stopped talking to him because they had had it by that point when no one had intervened to say, here's what's going on and give strategies for people to get along and understand. It was the most heartbreaking story. Mm. And you're telling you're giving me a lot of validation that I kept saying to that mom, I just wish that you would be open with this. Coaches want to kill him. Kids are, he's getting on everybody's nerves because nobody knows the strategies to, to um, as you've done, channel that into the, the brilliance piece of your life. So thank you for doing that. That's just wild. Yeah, we, you know, we, we have, both Kristen and I have had these different, we, we call them sucker punches in our, in our lives and have found the brilliance within that. And you've done the same exact thing. And it's so liberating because everybody has something. Everybody has something. And I, I love the way you talked about people coming up to you and saying, well, I don't have ADHD, but I have this. So we talk about how you can find your brilliance and those transferable skills. So so tell us a little bit about how you did that. Like you took, you took this you know, what, what people term as a, a problem and you turned it into something that you found the strengths in it. And I would assume also found tribe members who kind of could support you in those areas where you weren't able to, you know, overcome that. So, so let's talk about that part of the journey a little bit, how you managed to take this sort of diagnosis and then weave it into a journey and then become successful using it almost as a, as a springboard. So I, I love I love that like framework and like I will say my parents growing up were very um, you know th our three boys and my dad owned a a candy company a very successful peanut brittle candy company that almost everyone from the outside assumed his sons would all kind of follow in the family uh, place and my parents always instilled in us that like you have opportunities to succeed but we want you to find your own path. And, and carve out your own way. And if it ends up doing into like kind of the family business, it, it, that's great, but like we're gonna support you on that journey. And I can tell you for me, that had a lot of impact in a lot of these things that later on because it, none, and actually interesting enough, none of those three boys went into the family business. And, and, the, and my dad ended up you know, retiring and selling it from that side and, and never regretting it, never you know, thinking back on it. And as I look at that, and, and I loved you know, when you brought up the point about labels, right, Chris, things I think, I, I, I wonder now, and then this is me thinking out loud as that you were asked that question as well, is I was labeled the, the token millennial in my, in my career early on. And I, I worked for the US government in cybersecurity at the Department of Defense. So I, um, I, got, I got an entry level help desk job. I ended up raising my hand on one Friday when someone came into our help desk and said, who can be in Korea on Monday? Um, and like, I literally just raised my hand. I was like, I can be there. Um, and they were like, give a passport. I was like, no, I've been on a cruise ship. And uh, they're like, so I got a same day passport. I flew to Korea on the Sunday that weekend, um, taught a course that I had never taught before, but I learned it every night. Uh, it was teaching a course to the active duty military. Um, and on that way, on, I flew home, landed in Atlanta. And that day, my boss was like, hey, the government client said they're going to, they're going to do from one class to four classes if you're the one teaching it. And are you willing to do this? And it was a promotion three levels above my, you know, where I was brought in. And I ended up growing that to a team of, you know, 39 direct reports, 
We ran a you know $19 million a year budget. But interestingly enough, I was the millennial through all of this. And I loved it. Like I owned it and I made it very part of like who I was. And, and it was always kind of like an interesting thing for me. And like in retrospect, like I think it was a lot because my parents were always like, you know, like, hey, own what, who you are and kind of figure out what your way is. Because for me, generational labels isn't the oddest thing ever because no one I know has ever chosen what year they were born. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it's it's one variable, like, and it's one variable that has like a long stretch of years and, you know, ways that things can fold over. And so like, I remember early on in my career when people would say, Brian, like, why are you using that term? Like, you're proud of it. I'm like, well, I can't change the year I was born. Right. And I was like, and I'm kind of proud that like, I can rally behind my people and make all of us feel like, hey, we're not alone. And so like, to kind of bring that into the ADHD thing, I don't know if I would have been able to adopt the label as well if I hadn't done that so successfully, because in honesty, the first 30 employees that worked for me were all older than I was because I was working in cybersecurity. And in the early 2000s, no one went to school for it. It was like very you know, obsolete and you had to have a security clearance. So you had to be able to pass the clearance and a lot of things that you had. And so when I look at that, like that to me ended up being like, oftentimes people would say like, they were like, Brian, teach us how to get a hold of the millennials. Or like, I mean, the first time I ever got on stage to speak was how do we recruit millennials to the US government? And like, my joke was like, well, first of all, you can't talk to them like they're millennials. And second of all, like <laughs> you live in a world that you talk about change but the only thing we all know about the government is you can't talk about it because it's classified, right? Like it was like a, a very big like joke. I ended up wearing, uh, being the first person at the Pentagon Joint Chiefs of Staff to present not wearing a tie. Like I took my tie off and it was very like controversial. But oh. the reason I was doing it was like, if you're willing to accept this, you can accept some other changes and things that you have going on. And so for me, I believe part of the the origin of all of that and, and why I'm a proud girl dad of three little girls and being a girl daddy is my favorite thing in the world. And it's the best job I've ever had. It's the thing I've wanted to do my entire life. And the reason I own or kind of put those labels and put them out there is I just want to give people permission to be themselves, not telling them that they have to live the way that I'm living or be as transparent. But I think that's the beauty, right? And like to me, that ADHD, that day I came out of there, out of the doctor's office, you know, at 31, I remember feeling as though, I've always been okay being different. And if I just knew that I was different and there were other people different like me, mm -hmm. this whole journey would have been a heck of a lot different. Like yeah. it would have been, I would have yeah. given myself more forgiveness. I would have, I would have been more willing to learn how to adapt to my skill sets rather than learning to adapt to how everyone else lives. Like I, I joke right now that every time I see a blog post that says six things billionaires would do before 6 a.m it like, I can't stand those things. Like, first of all, I'm a night person, not a morning person, but I, I always look at those things. Like I'm not good enough or I don't do those things. And once I kind of owned my ADHD superpowers and the things that make me who I am, I was able to look at those type of blog posts or articles or advice and not think about it as like, they're, I need to get up before 6am rather. What are the things about what they're saying that I can implement in my world yeah. in my way of working? Yeah. Right? And so it's been a, it's been a very, uh, it's been a journey to say the least, but for me, at the way you asked that question too, I'm not sure. I, I believe the millennial label, oddly enough, and kind of owning that and being so proud of that being the case. And many times opening doors because they wanted to check a checkbox, right. empowered me to own the label of ADHD without much hesitation. And it's been, you know, for me, the amount of things that I get, messages that I get on a weekly basis from people that, just, that say, Brian, I didn't know about you, but I connected with you because of you sharing your ADHD superpower. To me, that's, you know, it's, it's validation on a weekly basis. It's just yeah. such a great way, literally, of looking at it, which is what um, my life, you know, is all about how my perception guides, you know, uplifts or destroys everything I do. Right. And my, my story started back from when my son was diagnosed as blind, my firstborn son. And I looked at blindness as everybody else does nightmare. My life was a nightmare until 
he at three and a half years old made me realize that blindness is just a thing. And actually he uses it, both of my boys use it to their advantage a lot now, because just like you're saying with all of your skills with ADHD, I mean, at 21 and 17, they've done more in terms of resilience and figuring people out and teamwork and all those skills. They have very unique skills because they've lived without sight all these years, but it was all in my perception. And then when I saw your perception of ADHD being a superpower, you totally get it. But I also want to say, that one of the things I wanted to make sure that we note in what you said for all of our listeners and viewers out there that are parents, it seems to me that you were raised in the same environment I was raised and I'm raising my kids, which is unconditional love. And the fact that you said that your parents said it's your life, it's your dreams and you do it. That's actually the biggest blessing that came out of blindness for me because I didn't start there. I was pissed that Michael wasn't going to be a quarterback or a pitcher on the baseball team that I wanted for him. And when I shut, when that got shut down, my true being a good mom was able to come to the surface. Cause I was able to say, I don't know what the heck you're going to do. <laughs> I'll get you what you need and follow your lead. And it carried over to my sighted daughter. So for all the parents listening, that is one of the most important stories in this whole journey that your parents set you up to live a brilliantly resilient life. Kudos to them. Yeah. And you know what? I, th I think um, in looking at this, I'm hearing over and over again, find the strength in the, and I'm using air quotes here for people who are hearing this, find the strength in the weakness, whatever that, you know, perceived weakness is, you know, whether it's blindness or in my son's case, you know, the addiction and with you, with the, the ADHD, there is a skill set within that, that the, the, you know, quote, normal people, unquote, don't see because they live in a different way. But I just love what you said, because I'm one of those people, please don't tell me I got to get up at five o'clock. This lunatic next to me gets up at five o'clock. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting up at five o'clock. <laughs> but tell me, let me take the pieces of the ideas behind that and see what works for you. And I, I'm going to point out something really very simple here. But I've noticed since the beginning of when we talked, you're standing. Yes. We're sitting, you're yes. standing, but that works for you. Like that's how you, you've taken it to the most basic level of how can I, how does my energy work for me? And how can I make myself function at the top of my level? And the, the idea that you make that such a personal journey for everyone and free people to make it a personal journey is a huge lesson. You know, and there's something that you said there. So, and one of the things for me is like the wording around a lot of this has always been like something that like I, and like, and, and so one of the, you, when you said weakness, I immediately, like for me, it was always my vulnerabilities, not my mm -hmm. weaknesses. Cause mm -hmm. I don't look at it. As, and even when I'm talking about it, I'm like, and part of that, I think for me, when we think about our vulnerabilities, it's less about something that impacts like how I'm successful, it's more of how people judge me, right? And, and I think like where you went with that is so beautiful because the, the lesson for me in this was, you know, owning it, living with it. But then I would say the most important lesson has happened over the last three years is becoming hyper self-aware so that I can adapt my lifestyle to it. And I think that to me has taken, it's a nine year journey. And part of the reason I, I share it a lot now is because I hope it's, it's not as long a journey for so many others. And, and honestly, my daughter, my middle daughter I, uh, with my three girls, she was diagnosed ADHD and dyslexia this past year. Mm -hmm. And for me, all of a sudden being, seeing that through a parent's eyes um, mm -hmm. was different. And it was, um, you know, and the mother of, of my children, we, we kind of, we get along really well in not only raising our children, but kind of figuring out ways to learn from the way that we were parented, but not saying that we do things different, but like, hey, let's take an open mind. And the thing that I, we're still figuring this out, we've gone through lots of different tests. She's going, uh, she's not medicated. She's going through some different learning habits and changes and adaptions. But the thing that I've found that I could give her, which is what I would share here over the last 11 months, like we've created our own little sign, our own little signal that anytime she's struggling in these places that this, this vulnerability shows up, I just flash her the sign. And sorry, I get a little emotional in, in the side of it because for me, it's just reminding her, this is how you and daddy think. Like yep. it's not, it's not, hey, you're, you're not thinking like your sisters. 
it's like, this is how you and your daddy are thinking. And so for me, like that is this, I think the beauty and these vulnerabilities and the way that we're putting out there. And I'm making the argument now on stages around the world that if we look at 2020, it taught us two very, I mean, many lessons, but one of them is that we are much more alike than we are different, especially when a pandemic is you know, ravishing around the country and it didn't choose race or religion or you know, class, it really did take an effect on so many people. But the other thing I think we're learning, and this is where I'm kind of leaning into, is that what our vulnerabilities are what actually connect us more so than our strengths. And to me, I think that's the beauty, beauty lesson moving forward is that when you share something like, hey, blindness or my ADHD or dyslexia, or I've been doing a lot in the mental health uh, advocacy community. I'm also um, on a, a board for um, a stopping child trafficking uh, group. And so much of what we're focusing on is not only removing the stigma, which I think we, we know is, is important, but also allowing us to realize that we all have vulnerabilities and nobody is perfect, right? And like, my, I have a slide in every presentation that says, you can't work with me and you can't believe what I believe unless you believe perfection's a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And I've, I, I make that like a point, I make that very known because I think when we can get over our desire to be perfect and we can allow people to let us let it in, it really can change the way we talk about who we are, can talk about the things we're doing. And I, the stages I get in on so much of my business success a lot of it, a majority of it has to do with me sharing my vulnerabilities and people connecting with my vulnerabilities or my, my love for being a dad, more so than my career, my work and the things I've done. And I know that might sound for some, it's like, well, how does that all fit in? But I think when we start thinking about the people in your life, did you connect with them because of all their success and you shared similar success? Or did you connect with them because you could relate on some core values and core things? Or, or like you said, the, the times you got punched in the gut you're connecting because we've all had those times. And I think interestingly enough, the more we put that out there, the more I think we're gonna realize that we can be open with these vulnerabilities because it is ultimately what connects us. Well, man, if anyone has taken the shame out of vulnerability, it's you in this conversation. And we, we know so much from, of course, Brene Brown's work about what shame does to cripple people, you know, and, and just shut everybody down. And you're making it like, it's almost like I want to get a t-shirt. Like, here's all mine. What you got? You know, <laughs> I would need an entire cape for all of mine, but hey, you're making it's it one like of those big poster board things on both sides. Yeah, that like you a <laughs> You're just, this is what I love about you so much. And there's a million things to love about you, but you're making your vulnerabilities, things to celebrate and go out there and shout them so you can connect. And, and to your exact point, we, in our process of being brilliant and resilient, one of the very first steps in the reset is getting in touch with your core values. And Mary Fran and I have realized over and over again, she always says, we do not work on paper. We don't have the same life. Nothing about our lives is the same. But our core values of trust and respect, that's how this works and works at such a level. And it's because of us coming together with our, our um, I'm not going to say it on, on here, our setbacks. You know, I usually call it something else. <laughs> when we came together in a mastermind and found out that we were the ones that had been hit the hardest and had these vulnerabilities, that's where we grew from. That's, yep. that's phenomenal to be celebrating instead of being in shame. Yeah. And I can tell you one of the things I've learned over more recently too is that you know understanding our own core values is so valuable and so important. But I would actually say even more important is our ability to let others know the, what those core values are so that they can work with us the best. They can understand wow. how our values set. And I think for me, the more transparent I came with ADHD, so much so that every client that I work with knows about it. My, my team knows about it and are very aware of all of the different things that would time of the day. And, and, I, and I say this like half-heartedly, but anyone that gets on a call with me from the 1 p.m. hour, almost everyone in my network, and this is clients, business, will say around you know, the end of the call, Brian, you know, it's time for your medicine, right? Your Adderall, because my alarm goes off at 1.40 uh, p.m. every day for my second dose. And my daughters know it. So my daughters, you know, me growing up, the idea that like, I didn't even think medicine was, not only did I not look at medicine as something that was normal, but like, it, like to me, I was, even at 30, it was foreign that someone would take medicine on a day-to-day -day basis for anything, right? Like to me, that was still like a, and like for my daughters now, they know, like they, they help me remember when to take my medicine in my journey because 
it's also a very, you know, the irony isn't lost on me that I have trouble focusing and remembering and yet I have to remember to take medicine. Like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> I, need, I need like a, a medicine for my remembering to take my medicine, which is like a whole nother yeah, uh, story on that. But I feel like just that little bit of, you know, and it also takes a little, it takes away, it takes away the power of others to bully me or to push their ideals on me when I put it all out there and say, hey, this is who I am. This is how I'm learning. I am not perfect. I have failed in many ways. And I am, I know that the way I operate is not the way that most people operate. And I've owned that. And by owning that transparently, I can tell you it's been, it's been the most rewarding thing for me because not only are people there with me on my journey, but they're adapting to that in their life. Like, like I struggle with email and I struggle with consistency. And so I've had people step up and say, Brian, I want to work with you on this. And I know consistency is a struggle for you. I want to help in that area. Right. And I think like, this is, this is the part I would like, give out to everyone is that self-awareness. We talk a lot about that. Right. And self-care mm -hmm. and, I, and I believe in it, but I think the magic and self-awareness is actually tied to collaboration because if you know what you know, but more importantly, if you know what you don't know or what you struggle with, you can surround yourself with people who know what you don't. And that I believe is the perfect thing for a team, for collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of it gets lost on like, hey, you're extrovert, you're confident, you're, you have these things. Like I was all of that my entire life, but I wasn't very self-aware. I wasn't really like truly understanding when I work best, how I work best, the things in my day that I like, the things that are different. And then many times the shame that you mentioned with Brene Brown, and I'm a Brene Brown super fan. I had the opportunity to share the stage with her uh, oh, in wow. 2014 at South by Southwest. Um, and she is just as beautifully amazing of a person uh, backstage. Uh, actually, she was teasing me about a sticker I had on my laptop when I walked back there. Um, uh, and I, I think some of the things that, you know, even, even understanding myself to know when to push back or when to connect. And like, I would make this argument as well is that Gary Vaynerchuk uh, in 2013 took me under his wing in many cases in, in multiple different places. And the reason was, was not because I was, tweeting at him, not because I was doing all these things to get on his, he was like, Brian, you're willing to push back on some of my ideals while still supporting the things that you're aligned with. And I was like, well, it's because you're out there and you create so much content. And you're like, you can't really, like, you might not agree with him, but you're going to know where he stands for. Yeah. And it took me five years to realize if I take that same stance, it's going to open up the door for others to work with me, me to work with them. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It is a little scary. And I will say, on the journey of being aware of who I was and being myself, I've also lost clients. And I've also had those awkward, because I'm, I'm not one that ever puts the shine light only on it. Like I, I'm a big believer that, you know, failure, we must, when we talk about failure, we must talk about the idea that it sucks as well, right? Failure hurts and failure can last a long time. And, it, and, but for me, like that piece that I've kind of learned on that as well is that like, as we're sharing this and as we're learning, and I've heard things like, well, by you sharing, Brian, now you're not working with the people that aren't good to work with you. And I'm like, well, that's good, but my mortgage wasn't getting paid by yeah. me making that statement, right? Like, it, and I remember, I mean, I remember a day I talked about my tattoos. I have my three daughters' names uh, tattooed across my chest. And I shared that on an Instagram and I lost my largest client like within that week. And it wasn't wow. quote unquote, the tattoos. It was my, my transparent and the way that I shared, they believed it allowed, they didn't know where I was coming from. Although we'd worked together, for two years on pushing envelopes. And for me, that was devastating. And yeah. I could have easily retracted. But at that point, I, I knew that, hey, I'm just gonna own this because retracting doesn't bring anything back. And I share that story to say a year later, the person that had removed my contract had left to a different company and she hired me to work with them and they're still my client to this day. And wow. what she came to me and realized was, Brian, it had nothing to do with what you shared or how you shared it. It was, I didn't know how to talk about your approach to my superiors. And so that's kind of now where this whole multi-niche, my focus now is on, is that I believe in this world we're in now, we have to take the onus upon ourselves to help people talk about us, help people work with us, help people understand how we prefer to work, be worked with. Because I, I believe that is the magic now as we kind of get more transparent, we get more open. Because if we're not putting it out there and saying, I work best this way and these are my values. 
it's kind of selfish for us to expect others to know that. Like, like how, how would they know that? Not to mention we have so many distractions and so many things going on. And so I think that's kind of how we move away from shame. That's how we also move, move away to, or move towards starting to connect is that the more we're able to not only own our values, but live those values every single day in every way we show up, it really enables the power of collaboration, which I believe uh, one of the chapters in my, in my upcoming book is the future of innovation is powered by collaboration. Yeah. And, I, and I've, we've seen that in every case possible. And I think it does come down to us owning that you know, and taking that upon ourselves. I love it. You know, I, I literally just last week said to, I have a morning group, talk about consistency and all these, a lot of these buzzwords you're hitting. I'm like, Ooh, that's my brain. I've got issues, but I've learned to start putting things in place. And I have a group every morning we meet for half an hour, Monday through Friday. It's like an accountability to make sure I'm staying focused. Right. And I just said to them last week, I ended up through clubhouse in this coaching thing that I open, you know, I get into it and I'm thinking it's one-on-one and it's one on like 41. Right. And now I'm frustrated so I realized in, 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 in line with what you're saying, I was in all of this in, a, in these, this two hour period, I became somebody different because I wasn't just showing up as me and in my values. I was trying to like, this is a very new thing I'm walking into, a new type of, of crowd. And I tried mirroring their stuff as opposed to being me. And I was getting more and more pissed off yep. <laughs> as the thing went. And I said to my group the next morning, I go, I almost pulled all my hair extensions out. I was so frustrated, right? I'm like, why do we do that? Because I never, my creativity gets stifled. My productivity gets stifled when I'm trying to mirror somebody else as opposed to just here I am. And if I suck at this because it's who I am, then I shouldn't be here. But why do we do that? Why do we try to do this whole fitting in with them? I, I believe it comes down to our narrative that we tell people what they should be doing rather than why we are doing what we're doing. Right, the narrative of telling people like this is what I do every morning. It makes us feel as though we need to be doing that as well, rather than us sharing. This is why you know for me, I'm I'm struggling with accountability, and these are the things that I'm doing. Right, I think so much of it is in the narrative. It's even in the education. And like I look at it in my kids, right? Like when we ask kids, like what do you want to be when you grow up? Like I'm I turned forty this year, and I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and ultimately, even asking that decision, right? Like, but the the question I, I often ask my daughters is like. What is the impact on the world that you want to make, right? And like, what are the things that you want people to know about you? And that is a different approach. And, and I love that you said about you know, the way that you show up. Because I will say, and, and, I, and I know like this is the kind of the funny thing is, Mary, you were talking about like, you don't love social media, right? Or you don't love Twitter or the pieces. And I've made this argument because I lived it. Up until 2013, social media overwhelmed me. It was painful and I didn't like it. I thought it like... I was overwhelmed and I will tell you my mom and I, and I, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy and I'm very blessed to have amazing parents. Uh, and my mom would be like, well, you don't call me enough, which I know. So it's like, you know, it's like, I'm not a perfect son in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but my mom, uh, November 2nd, 2013, I, I know the date I've told the story a bunch, but for me that day, she, she, she would call me on the phone and she's like, Brian, are you okay? Like everything okay with like who you are? And my parents weren't in social media. My dad didn't get a computer for his uh, business until like 2006. Like my dad was like, it's cool what you're doing, son, but I'm going to live in the way that like actually moves the needle and social, you know, um, and my mom, she called me out. She's like, are you enjoying what, like showing up on social media and things? She's like, and this is the, the, the irony. And for those that are watching, um, she was like, Brian, I don't even see you wearing a hat in your profile pictures. And she's like, since you were six years old, you wore a hat every single day. And like, I mean, I got my first time I got detention at school was wearing a hat, right? Like oh my so God. much, it's been just who I am. And of course, I was the, the son at that moment uh, in 2013. That's like, yeah, mom, of course. You don't know social media. I know social media. I am 100 spent that way. And I hung up the phone and I remember just standing there in my, in my bedroom and was like, oh my God. And she was like, and the things that she was, we were kind of going over was like, Brian, you were the person that was a thespian on the baseball team and worked at a DJ at a skating rink. When I went to college, I played college hockey. I was a computer science major and I was the president of my fraternity. Nobody in my fraternity played hockey. Nobody played hockey was a computer science major. Yet I was able to not only bridge those worlds, but to live my like truth because I was able to be okay with that. And on that day, November 2nd, 2013, I grabbed a Sharpie, like literally grabbed a Sharpie. And I don't recommend using a Sharpie, but I walked into my bathroom mirror and I wrote, be yourself in giant letters. And I underlined, I even put a hashtag in front of it. And then, that day, social media changed for me 
because that was the day I stopped trying to share what I thought other people wanted to hear. And I started giving people access to who I was. Mm. So I will make the argument in today, especially 2021, if social media is overwhelming us, if we are, if the idea of putting things on Facebook or putting out a tweet or like, or even the idea that like, I don't want to deal with the bad news and fake news and, and bullying and things that exist on these things. It's up to us to adapt, right? I think if, if your social media feed is depressing and, and has a lot of things that you don't agree with, you're following the wrong people. Yeah. Social media. Like those yeah. people still exist in the real world and they're still just as bad as they are, right? And I think for me, when November 2nd, 2013, much like the day with the, the ADHD, it was the day that I, I just stopped having to put on an act and to your point, Chris, and it, it not only allowed me to become better, but it really became kind of my own accountability and my own journey. And I mean, I started sharing on Snapchat and on Instagram every part of my stories. And, and over the time, I've become extremely transparent. Mm -hmm. And I know transparency can be scary, especially for a lot of people. And so I always say, you know, do baby steps. I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie, What About Bob uh, with Bill Murray. And they always like, oh, the elevator, right? like, hey, I'm a millennial that can quote uh, What About Bob, right? So it's crossing <laughs> over here. Funniest movie. Yes, yes. And, and, I, and, I think, and at the same time, you just want to kill yourself, like in the middle of it, like, oh my God. Which, but, which is, I think, part of this whole thing on like transparency. That's why I use that as a perfect example is that the more we get put ourselves out there, the more we, we own just who we are, <laughs> the more there is that idea of judgment and the idea of in what am I doing is wrong or what am I doing? And I think this is where for me, transparency is kind of the magic weapon, but I have a caveat with that is that transparency does not guarantee trust. Just like authenticity doesn't guarantee it. Mm. Because if you suck and you're transparent, we just find out you suck quicker. Like <laughs> being very, very blunt as I can be, right? But if you are a good person doing good things, Transparency gives us a window into who you are so that we can build trust faster. I, I would argue Clubhouse, um, you know, which is where we connected, um, is the greatest scale of trust ever because you can't mail it in. You can't outsource it. Yeah. The way you show up in an audio only format cannot be like, I, I believe you can, you know, we can do things like, you know, catfish people and fake things and sell unicorns and rainbows and a lot of the things that exist. But there are certain formats, especially audio where eventually you're gonna get exposed. And to me, that's why I'm so all in on that platform because I do believe the good people in the world doing good things are going to rise and going to stand out. And, I, and I'll kind of wrap this, just this idea in, if this sounds strange and a little bit overwhelming and a little bit scary, the times have changed as well. So many of the things, the decisions we've made, were, we, when we look back, we're like, I, I won't share any of that online. Because when we made the decision not to share it five years ago, seven years ago, it made sense. Like, I mean, if we think about it, like the world wasn't ready for a lot of those things, but I would argue, and this has been like my call to action on everything lately, is in 2021, we have to ask all of the questions we previously, previously answered again to ourselves with a framework of 2021 moving forward. Every question from yeah. what we share, from how we show up, from the things we wear, the things we prioritize, we're, we're hearing it all over the place, right? Like, you know, not, you know, some of the people that are quitting their job that they've worked their entire life from because they, once they realized they were home and had time with their kids, or they realized that their hobby was, you know, fueling a lot of the things Like we're, we're becoming like very, uh, you know, open to all of these new perspectives. And there's a group of us that are saying, I want to go back to the, the, the normal. And there's a group of us that say that normal was not good. Like we have right. like, we have like, <laughs> we have amnesia really quickly on what, like what the was, but I think where we can all kind of take this is we get to reshape the future together and decide what are the priorities for us. Like we got our own reset, our own start. And I think this to me is where how you show up online, the transparency you are, these are things that you can ask again. And so that's why for me, I always, I always like to use that as a caveat because there are things that in like this journey of being transparent and putting yourself out there that five years ago, it would have been devastating for your business. It probably would have alienated your friends but it was because they weren't prepared with it, not because you weren't living it, right? And I think now we're getting to a place where, and this is like part of my mission is to help people move from judging to relating and understanding, right? We talk a lot about empathy, but empathy requires us to be able to walk in someone else's shoes and feel what they feel. Mm -hmm. And that requires a whole different perspective. And I think this is a, an interesting journey we're on, but I think that to me is kind of the exciting yet scary 
Yet I, you know, for me that day, November 2nd, 2013, everything changed because now my goal is to give you access to me while shining the light on you. And that's really my goal in every piece of content I create and everything I do. And it's made, made my life online a lot easier and it allows me to create 10 videos a week. I do an Instagram story every single day. I host two podcasts, run my business, have my three daughters. Um, and all of that because I stopped trying to put out what I thought people wanted to see. And I just let people in to see who I was. I love it. And that's exactly how, why I, I clicked on your profile as I was hearing you talk to somebody on Clubhouse um, and then saw the, the superpower. And that's why I connected with you because it was so real and you were being completely transparent while helping somebody else break through whatever they had to break through. It's, it's, you really do live what you're teaching us here. And that's how, that's how I, I love that connection. And Mary yeah. France giving me the face like, oh my amazing. God, we have to wrap up. Well, I know. Well, I, I mean, literally, we could talk to you for another three I know. hours. It's such good uh, I mean, it's, it's, I just love so many of the things that you said. And, you know, I just want to come back to one thing really quickly where you talked about your daughter and that kind of, you know, catching her eye and that recognition of we think differently. But what a blessing to allow not only for her to do that, but to share with the world that people think differently, because guess what? That means different ideas. Mm -hmm. That means different energy. That means, you know, we can find different solutions to things. So, you know, thank you for giving not only her permission, but the rest of us permission to recognize that thinking and acting differently brings more to the conversation yeah. instead of taking things away from it. So Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that. And now tell people where we can find you because we all need more Brian Fanto. And I hear you got a book coming out. So tell us about I that. I do. And so the podcast is also Press the Damn Button and the book coming out is also Press the Damn Button. And Press the Damn Button is really my call to action, right? It's the idea that so many of us can learn, so many of us can make a plan, but very few people are taking action. And it really does come up this whole piece of putting yourself out there. Um, and so it'll be out in the fall, uh, still working on a couple of things with uh, two different publishers. This is actually, I, the irony is it's the third book I've written and I've never pressed the damn button. So chapter one is my, my own hurdle to get over something that I looked at as a legacy piece because I am not a reader and I'm not a book consumer for the most part because of my superpower. And I, I kind of put this, this massive thing on top of these books. And I wrote a, a, a book called Millennial Mindset with over 120,000 words and no one's ever seen it because I was in this like space of, of all of the things that I know we're all going through. So uh, that's the, the pieces that I have. And the podcast has been a lot of fun. Uh, season two just launched uh, this past week and I'm, I'm interviewing people. It's very long formatted. Uh, some episodes like an hour and 40 minutes, but going into what buttons people in different walks of life have pressed to get to where they're going at now. And so we kind of go through that journey from seven years old to um, where they're at now, now, and it kind of plays in there. But um, to find me, you know, iSocialFans is the name of my company. Um, iSocialFans with a Z or a Z at the end um, is every social channel there is. I can guarantee if there's a social network, my account is there and I'm pretty active. I don't recommend my clients to do that, but it's the way that I allow myself to know where my clients should be spending their time. Uh, and then my website for speaking, virtual, a lot of things um, is brianfanzo.com. So brianfanzo.com um, is my website there for, for those things. And you know, like the, the funny part about all of this and like even sharing this here is hearing those kind words that you guys said mean the world to me. And it not only motivates me, but it inspires me to keep on that journey. And I think that is part of this beauty too, is that the more we can connect and inspire just one person or connect and hopefully make a difference in one person, not only giving them permission to be themselves, but like you said, realizing that being different is not a problem. Being different is a beautiful problem to have if you're looking at it as a problem. And it's now about how do we lean in? How do we adapt? How do we show up? And I think that to me is the, the lesson I'm trying, I'm working hard to give my daughters. Um, it's a lesson I'm working hard to empower and have the conversations. And, and I, I would kind of say this, at, at, at like in this whole idea of connecting, right? Like pick your favorite social channel, pick where you prefer to connect and reach out to me there, connect with me on, on that channel. I don't believe you have to connect everywhere. I do create a, a lot of content because it's part of my, my outlet, but yeah, feel free to connect, happy to share the journey. Um, I do have some things launching like right now, actually, uh, this week on ADHD Superpowered. So if you actually go to adhdsuperpowered.com, uh, once this is out, it'll have, it's gonna redirect you to a new site with all of 
every video I've created on the topic, every blog post, I've actually um, cataloged 180 blog posts that I've read over the years that have helped me become more educated and more self-aware with my superpower. And I have them all in a folder. I've had it in a folder for years. And I was like, why am I not sharing it out there? So it's wow. going to be out there um, under ADHDsuperpower.com. Um, and yeah, that, that's, you know, that's for me is what it's all about. And the last thing is you mentioned Clubhouse. Um, I do host a club on Clubhouse called the Misfit Mafia. Uh, and the Misfit Mafia is my mastermind group. Um, and it's for those that are different. Those are the rebels, the troublemakers, those that have been told that you are the uh, round peg uh, into a square hole. Uh, very much from the Steve Jobs quote, because uh, actually that's a little, for those that are seeing, that's a Steve Jobs uh, stuffed animal there. Uh, I social <laughs> because I'm an Apple fanboy. So like iPhone, iPad, I social fans, that's my brand. That's how big Apple fan. And that quote always stood out for me because Steve Jobs made it cool for me to feel like it was cool to be a geek. And interestingly yeah. enough, in retrospect, a lot of what I've done in the showing up as a millennial, owning the fact that my ADHD is very much what Steve Jobs did for me, looking back, is that idea that like, I started, I was ashamed to talk about in my hockey circles that I was a computer science major. And, and thanks to Steve Jobs, it became the thing that I was cool with. And, and I think this is the lesson that we can learn is that find your people, find your message and, and embrace the fact that you know, who you are and what your vulnerabilities are, are not only your superpower, but they're what they're allow others to connect with you. So thanks so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. This is so brilliant. And, and I, I will say also that, that Steve Jobs and the Apple, the, all their suite of products got my blind sons to be into all the cool circles because then they could text, they can use their phone, all those voiceover things that are built right in, we didn't have to pay extra for launched them right into a whole new social scene and it was it literally was life-changing so i'm i'm a big fan also we have a lot in common this has been so extraordinary and i just feel like as you're talking i know we're gonna all the three of us are gonna work together on something at some point because there's just too much similarity here and you're like opening up all of my creative outlets so thanks so much for spending this time with us brian thanks for the work that you do and and really for championing celebrating your vulnerabilities and letting people show up in the world the way that we need to show up. And I agree with you that things are so different now in 21 and this is the time to do it. So thanks for all that. And everybody can get all of those links and everything and, and all of uh, the resources that Brian just spattered off in 80 million different things for us um, in the show notes and on our website. So, and go to brilliantlyresilient.net blink three times and the pop-up will come up for you to type in your email address so you can stay on top of all of this stuff and the resources we have. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you again next time on Brilliantly Resilient. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.